1: Hey everybody, today's guest is Bill Stevenson, drummer for the Manhattan Beach, California punk rock band, The Descendants. Together we take a deep dive into the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the fan favorite song, Clean Sheets, taken from their 1987 album, All. The All record was the first recording to feature both guitarist Stefan Egerton and bassist Carl Alvarez, and their presence is immediately felt and heard. Upon putting clean sheets under my microscopic lens, I noticed quite a few guitar overdubs in the verses, choruses, and guitar solo, something Descendants didn't really do on later records. Bill chalked this up to still learning his way around a recording studio, and credits recording engineer Richard Andrews, who recorded both all and its predecessor *Enjoy*, joy, with offering him and the band endless studio knowledge. In short, they were experimenting and learning as they went. As Bill reflected back on the lyrics of this song, he now realizes that the tone is very judgmental and one-sided, but quickly pointed out that if you're not a little bit embarrassed or put off by your earlier work, then you really haven't grown as a person. Interesting take. Oh, and Bill lets us in on a little secret about who wrote the lyrics on verse 3 of Clean Sheets. For all this and a whole lot more, don't you dare go anywhere. Hey, hey, have you heard? a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here watching Bill um, finish his burrito with a cup of coffee. This is uh, this is a perfect setup for <laughs> the start of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and he's holding up what looks like a cookie. Is that a no, cookie? No, it's
2: a, it's a baby carrot. Oh, baby carrot. Yeah, and see, I got nuts
1: too. Nuts, baby carrots, burritos, and coffee. The diet of Bill Stevenson in 2023.
2: I was trapped in my studio here with my dogs because my wife had a like a hair customer. She does people's hair in the house and the dogs, sometimes the dogs attack the customers. So she puts them down here <laughs> with me when she has a hair customer. So I was locked in here and I couldn't get any breakfast. So now I'm having my breakfast. There we go. Well, perfect. Well, Bill, I'm not sure you even
1: realize the impact of the episode that we did with you. Um, And we had talked about One More Day in Steve's Boy, and it was just, it was one of my early episodes on the pod, and it just, it, it continues to have a life of its own. People still talk about that episode. just want to thank you again for for doing that one, and and, and thank you for coming back for, uh, for part two. You're,
2: you're one of our
1: repeat offenders.
2: I didn't know it was going to be so traumatizing to talk about that stuff. I kind of thought I had moved past it all, you know? It's funny, these shrinks talk about stuff, you know, that's way down in you, and you can think you've totally forgot about something and then and it can just come up out of nowhere and you're like what where the hell did that come from
1: <laughs> i know and it's so strange because i teetered i was i was going back and forth with i, I had emails and text messages that i was going to forward to you and i was like just leave him alone let it be we did we did the <laughs> we did the podcast cuz bill i was getting emails my producer and i from people grown men saying that they had to pull off the side of the road on the way to work to to have a have a cry to shed a tear when they were listening to that so it it really resonated with a lot a lot of people
2: well i hope i hope i hope some people got something out of it i we've all got our sad stories right you know absolutely absolutely and having just lost my
1: father a couple months ago i uh, it hits it hits all too well that 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 pain of realizing he's not going to be here anymore you know that that uh that finality
2: well i'm sorry to hear that what happened with your father?
1: Yeah, he had Parkinson's disease. He had it uh, for about seven years. He battled it seven or eight years, which is about uh, the prognosis, the, the life expectancy, I should say, when you're diagnosed with it, about seven or eight years. And about right on time, he, he, uh, he, pa- he passed away. How old was he when he
2: passed away? Yeah, he was 74, 74 years old. What's, that, what's the medicine called that you take when you have Parkinson's? Uh, gabapentin. That's one of the ones. The one they were giving my dad it had the word dope in it like not dopamine but yeah it was levodopa Right okay lev right yeah levodopa So he he was starting to lose his mind and I would give him his meds and he would say you got to give me the rop-a-dope. <laughs> I didn't realize till way later he was talking about cuz you know Muhammad Ali had parkinsons Yes So my dad yes. was keen on the fact that he that he was taking it's probably the same medicine that Muhammad Ali took because my dad loved Muhammad Ali. <laughs> so he called the that's medicine awesome. the Ropadope.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was that was the stuff they had him on, and it's funny, you know. As you know, you start down that road, you start on one medication. Well, you got now now you have to take something to counter the effects of that one. And Near the end, he was he was taking a a whole whole cabinet full of stuff, so it was absolutely crazy. But yeah, that's uh, that's life, though, right? And it, it and it brings us. To again, you're you're a repeat offender. You're back for for time number two, and you've been kind enough to uh, discuss "Clean Sheets" with us, which is from the Descendants' fourth album, All, which was released in June of '87. And I got to ask you, Bill, when was this song written? Do you remember? Because I mean, you guys back then, your your previous record, Enjoy, came out in '86. You had a lineup change with with Carl and Stefan joining the band. And you record all. You were touring, studio. uh, You know, it it was it was one or the other. Constantly busy. So, do you recall when you wrote "Clean Sheets"? Do you remember?
2: Yeah. Let's see. I guess that was in '86. Yeah. I mean, I wrote that like right when Carl and Stefan joined the band. When I think of that song, now that I'm old and wise, (laughs) the first thing I think of is the male double standard. I wrote it when I found out you know my girlfriend had been cheating on me but i mean i was going out on tour and you know doing what we did on tour back then as young lads you know and so i really shouldn't have written that song because it's it's a total it represents a double standard that's interesting
1: you say that because it ultimately that's what it was about but I consider this one of a long line of love songs that that you wrote in your career.
2: Yeah, totally. We can talk about that and stuff. But I'm saying at the core of it, now that I'm, you know, I got 40 40 years later or whatever, I'm able to go, well, well, because I'm still friends with the person. You know, we're like good buddies now, friend buddies. And I'm able to go, well, I really shouldn't have thrown her under the bus like that because she wasn't a villain, you know.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. yeah, well, I gotta tell you something else that happened, and I know that there was two other ingredients that came in with Carl and Stefan, but you know this whole time period, every time that you pressed record, I feel like you were absorbing and you were learning and there was something about this album in particular when I look back at the catalog, there was definitely a jump up in the quality of production on on this record. It's amazing, you know it's. Uh, with the technology you weren 't recording to pro Tools. this is all the tape back then you you had a had a limited budget, but I think this recording sounds great
2: I think it sounds pretty good along the way. We made an awful lot of engineering mistakes or production mistakes because we were we were learning how to do it, and we we would overreact a lot and do things that that just made things sound silly you know and we thought we were making them sound cool. It definitely took. Definitely took a long time to figure out how to do all that stuff correctly. Much longer than I had thought it would. If you can, if you go through the Descendants and the All catalog, you can. As an engineer, you can literally hear every kind of engineering mistake that can be made. You know, we made every one of them. But on Descendants All, we had Richard, Richard Rodriguez. Uh, back then, he went by Richard Andrews. We had him in doing the engineering, and so he. He was assert- assertive enough to not let us take it into any silly direction, so it, I think it's pretty cool. Well, speaking of silly direction, <laughs> you, know, you, you guys had
1: songs like uh, Silly Girl, for instance. You had songs like Wiener Schnitzel. You had songs like One More Day that were gut-wrenching in, in in another way. You had love songs, and I always thought of Clean Sheets as uh, part of the trifecta. You know, the, the the next song that you wrote that was in that same type of vein, uh, to me, was She's My Ex from Alroy's Revenge in 89, and then, of course, Long Distance. Uh, and I could even maybe
2: lump Shreen a little bit in there, but... If you want the, the Buddy song of Clean Sheets, it's um, Spineless and Scarlet Red.
3: Yeah,
2: that would be its its mature cousin, giving ample fault to both parties. <laughs> unlike clean sheets. Gotcha. Well, you know, I think that's what.
1: What it was about Descendants, you guys gave people so much to, to go on. You had the silly songs. You had the heartbreak. You had the love songs. You were writing about things that, you know, at that time, you know, there there was some punk bands that, that that couldn't write a love song. It just wasn't in their arsenal. It wasn't in their wheelhouse to do.
2: We had uh, teachers. You know, we had the last. You know, Joe Nolte was a Class A <laughs> balladerian. <laughs> I mean... Uh, he taught us how how to write about relationships in a kind of a meaningful way.
3: is it right that I should be so in love with what I see? when I know it cannot be when I know
0: it cannot be can I,
2: speak? I mean he didn't teach us we just basically ripped off the last I mean that <laughs> that was our thing. Well
1: I, and yeah, and you you've always championed that band. You've always talked about The Last as as a big influence. And I look at something like Clean Sheets and I know you know this. I'm 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 just really saying this for for everybody listening, but this song was written probably in 86, recorded in 87. It was just so ahead of its time. You know, you you heard songs like "Clean Sheets" starting in the early '90s on just every pop punk record, uh, and, and beyond. At that point, you know, it was such a blueprint for for things to come. And when you wrote it, I'm sure it was just a another song that you wrote that day, right?
2: When we were younger, I I think I can speak for all of us. We had the benefit of not being so so self aware, and yeah, mm-hmm. no, we didn't. We had no real idea what we were doing. We just were writing about what was on our mind that day maybe carl i mean carl's kind of always more intelligent than the rest of of us i, I might be pissing people off but i mean carl's <laughs> like the smartest guy in the whole world ever and yes maybe he was more self-aware just because part i think part of being wise is being self-aware but no i didn't know what i was mm-hmm. doing like i could just write about a fart or whatever <laughs> not to say that a fart is equivalent to a girlfriend but farts are like guitar solos they're they're only cool if you're the one doing it you know (laughs) very 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 true that's actually a carl line he came up with that
1: (laughs) well you know i was down recently the the youtube rabbit hole and there was a video from the black flag days and I just it was funny because my immediate thought was like someone must have had that huge camcorder on their shoulder as they're filming you and Henry. And you're sitting there talking to some kid. It was an interview. And just you had this even when I first met you, I've, I've talked about this before. My listeners have heard me say this, but you had this just this exterior. You're this tough guy and you wouldn't really look people in the face. But yet there's this side of you that could write these songs <laughs> like Clean Sheets and, and Long Distance and She's My Ex. It was just it, it didn't seem like like uh it, it was the same person that could do that
2: yeah that's that's um i call it that my body type doesn't match my personality <laughs> i'll never forget this this is classic so you know bug we uh, you, of course. we all know bug and uh, you know bug passed away last year and uh, you know we, you know one of our just dear friends but he was our uh you know main roadie for the whole time in the band right and so we were playing a show. It was with you guys. It was with you guys. It was when all was playing with last we did all those long tours together with the hot waters oh, yeah. and discount all those all that yeah. stuff. And uh I just finished playing and I'm soaking wet. You know, and I got like the drumstick sawdust stuck in my chest hairs, you know, and I'm sitting there <laughs> picking those out so I can put my clothes back on and and Bug comes back with this young woman a young lady who said i guess she wanted to meet the person that wrote silly girl you know so so he he says well that's him there in the corner so she comes over and she goes you wrote silly girl and i go yeah and she goes ew and she ran out of the room (laughs) awesome Uh, awesome right she actually said ew (laughs) she didn't say gross but she i she was thinking gross
1: because you weren't a kid, you were a kid when you wrote that song. But by the, by the time she talked to you, you were probably in your early to mid thirties. Yeah, yeah, funny. Which is all perspective, as as we know, we look back now and go, "Geez, I w- I wasn't old then, but uh, people thought I was." But you know, this song, it's—I I, want to say, Bill, it was pr- maybe the first Descendant song I ever heard, and I think that's part of the reason why I love it so much. Probably in my top five Descendant songs, and I want to jump into this bad boy. It's three minutes and nine seconds. The intro is 14 bars total. The first seven bars, stereo guitars, are in with bass playing these high octave-like call and response plucks. And you're riding the hi-hat, Bill. You're playing on the hi-hat in this intro. It's very jazzy and way more sophisticated than most punk bands in 1987 were doing. On bar eight, a tom buildup takes the whole band in for the next six bars before we get into verse one. When we get into this part, I call it that that surf snare, pop, 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 pop. That classic Descendants uh, beat happens here before we get into verse one. It's awesome. Do you recall writing this intro? Was this intro just always like this, or did you have like the chorus and the bulk of the song, and then you, Stefan, and Carl kind of worked this intro up, or did you write the intro uh, from from the get-go?
2: Clean sheets is. One of the ones where it really kind of came to me all at once in a big flurry, you know, and I woke up and it was kind of all there. Although, funny, I didn't have a last verse. And you know, the very, very last verse, those are Bugs lyrics. No kidding. Like, I woke up this morning alone on the floor, thinking about a clean cheese away buzz before, looked in the mirror, saw your face, and thought of the past, took my fist and smashed the glass. That Bug wrote that whole verse. No kidding. Yeah, isn't that cool?
1: That's awesome. I I did not know
2: that. But yeah, like the all the guitar riffs, those are those all came with the uh, the dream. I when I get those dreams, I don't get them that often. But when I do, then it's a it's a whole finished thing, you know.
1: You talked to me about that the last time we did this. You said you've had full compositions. You woke up and they were there. Yeah, I've never done that. I've dreamt that i was writing or i've dreamt we've all had those dreams of trying to get to the stage and someone's chasing us and there's a 50 pound you know weight attached to our leg and th- those those nightmare type <laughs> dreams but i've never had a i've never had a finished song wake up and it'd be there that that's unbelievable
2: <laughs> i've never had the 50 pound weight one <laughs> well you know it's, it's funny though i don't uh i'm not really able to do the the whole like pick a guitar up and strum some chords and then like Sing a melody over it, kind of like, oh, uh, what if I go to A flat? Oh well, well, how about C? How about C sharp minor? You know, I I can't really do that. I mean, I wish I could because I could be more prolific, but I don't have to just kind of hang out and wait for these these like things to come to me. Because then it's like I didn't write it; it just showed up. <laughs> you know, it just showed mm, up yeah. one day and there it was. Sometimes I have to work on it to. To figure out what it is like the fingering on the guitar. Or the fingering on mm-hmm. the bass, but it's all in my head, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. Right. And has that ever been frustrating with certain guitar players? I know by now you can just look at Stefan and he'll understand musically where where you're kind of going with a track. But back then, was it ever difficult for you to get what was brewing in your head out if you couldn't figure out what you were going for on guitar? Because I've done that. I've had something. In no, my head.
2: no. I always no. I always figure it out because I. I mean, when I was in my in my formative period here I, I played a lot of guitar I mean I would play hours and hours of guitar and a lot of bass too my first you know my first song was My Edge I wrote it on the bass and second song was Bike Edge and I wrote that on the bass too the you know the melody part sure I've always approached it from every angle: guitar, bass, vocals, drums, and that kind of also makes me not be a good. Uh, I'm not a good like drummer. Drummer, you know the guys that have like their sticks in their socks and they have a drum key necklace and a <laughs> zildjian shirt. Like, I mean, I'm of cool course. with that, but they're like drummers. You know, they're into drumming. They're into yeah. the paradiddles. They're into the flametapoo flammative, flammative or whatever it is. I'm not that kind of drummer, I and so, but I do. But I make up for it by knowing my way around. Kind of any instrument you hand me, if you give me an hour to fiddle with it, I'll play you some.
1: Well, I've talked about that in the show. You know, the the drummers that I've met and that I've worked with that don't play guitar and don't play another instrument. It's sometimes very difficult. To get them to hear where you're, you want an accent or where you want a part, and I think that that's so important. I've always encouraged younger drummers. I'll, I'll, I'll say to them, "Do you do you play any other instruments?" Well, no. Why? I'm like, you should pick
2: up a guitar. It'll help you later on. It's crazy how many people are tone deaf too. I mean, I'm not putting them down, but it's crazy. So we're, at the studio, at the blasting room, we have our like our internship thing where you know we. Every six months, we take on a couple new interns for for six months, or for more if they're if they prove to be promising. You know, they probably end up we probably end up hiring them. You know, so that my first thing when I'm interviewing the intern is first thing I go sing row 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 your boat, and then I go okay I sing happy birthday. And if they can't sing row 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 your boat and happy birthday, I don't mean to sing it well, but I mean to acknowledge that there are notes and melody and rhythm and phrasing, then (laughs) I don't I tell them them they should try to have a career that's not in music, you know, because I feel like I'm doing them a favor by telling them that. But then Mm -hmm. maybe it could be like, well, no, I can still be a drummer, can I? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and and,
1: and drummers are unfairly put down for that sometimes, too. All you could do is hit things. You're not musical, and that's not true either. But uh, verse one, Bill... Clean sheets mean a lot to a guy who sleeps on the floor. I wanted your love and a shelf on your dresser drawer. You tucked me in, stopped my tossing and turning, but I turned back the covers and saw those sheets are dirty. Now those lyrics came in a dream as
2: well? Yeah, ish. You know, half of them are kind of not not the words themselves, but the feeling of the verse, like the feeling of it, sort of. I, I, mm-hmm. I, can't, so I can't explain it. I can't explain how that works. But um, I was kind of feeling maybe like, you know, feeling really loved and cared for, and kind of you know driving up and spending the night with this person, and you know I thought, well, I'm I'm cool. This is cool for me. Like I I I sleep on the floor in the practice room, but I can go up there and I can I can get a shower, and you know maybe I could start keeping a couple of my things in her room you know just so i wouldn't have to haul him back and forth or whatever i don't know yeah but then you know so it's kind of like you know just juxtaposing the the kind of safety and comfort of that with the with the stark reality that like well guess what everybody's human and they do good things and bad things you know nobody's one thing nobody's one thing everybody's both things everybody's good everybody's bad Complex Creatures.
1: Well, the stereo guitars, bass, and the drums are all in here on verse one. But there's some things here, Bill, that I noticed that uh, I've heard this song, I don't know how many times, over the years. But I'm listening to this. I'm really taking a deep dive. And on the second line, uh, right around, I wanted your love and a shelf on your dresser drawer. That line, there's this guitar, jing, jing, overdub that happens. On the third line, the overdub is like this higher four-note lick. That comes in. And on the fourth line, that jing jing from the second line, those guitar overdubs, like chords, are coming in. You recall doing that, and and uh, what was the thought process there? It, it's great, but I just never really noticed it.
2: Yeah, those were some of the first times we ever overdubbed. There's there's some overdubs on the Enjoy album, and there's some overdubs on the Descendants All album. I I never really, at that point, I I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to to kind of the layers, the layering by which the guitars were being done. I, I it was kind of like. I think Stefan recorded a basic rhythm guitar in that that was pretty basic, you know, live with the drums, because we did the drums basic guitar live. And then so these were maybe afterthoughts of things that we thought maybe should go kind of little added accent points that nowadays we just we we do not overdub
1: nowadays. (laughs) It's just I remember when you guys did. I want to say it was either mass murder or problematic where Stefan was like, no, I'm not punching in.
2: Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't even punch in. It's pretty funny. We just we just go for okay, whatever. How are we gonna play this song live? That's how it's going on the record. I don't know if that's a good if it's a good ethos or a bad ethos, but that's kind of that's kind of what we've resolved to, which is so funny because me being a studio owner and whatever producing all these records and stuff. But with Descendants, I just I like it really. That's not pure, but I like it to just sound like like if people come see us, they go, Yeah, oh yeah, they're they're playing it how how I learn how I learned it on the record. They they can actually play that song. Instead of you go see bands live sometimes and their records are such that you know, that when you when you do go see them it seems really um it's a letdown. Sure. I don't want to yeah. be a letdown. I don't want the records to like mislead anyone, I guess. Mm-hmm it was really funny when I I
1: I never got this from this song with this first verse with those guitar overdubs it just I don't know why maybe it's because it was around the same time period the 80s but reminded me of like how Billy Idol would layer his guitars on on Rebel Yell with Steve Stevens they would have these just you know these these stereos that were kind of sitting back you know they were they were there they weren't super dominant but they'd have these middle of the verse guitar overdub parts come in I think that's great
2: me in particular I was listening to a lot of generation X you know Durwood that guitar player mm-hmm. and then also into into those first couple of Billy Idol solo records I really liked the way the way Steve Stevens and Durwood the way both of them handle their their guitar parts so I was it's weird. I was I feel like I was barking up the same tree as they were, but then when I became more aware of them, I I then became influenced by them as well. Yeah.
1: That's awesome and cool that you say that, because again, I've never had a Billy Idol influence jump out to me in a descendant song until this. I was like, wow, you know, it's it reminiscent of those production
2: qualities. Oh, you, you sour grapes smells of it. Y'all just
3: sour grapes. Well, I
2: Sour grapes and green, those just reek of reek of '80s stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the lyric in chorus one is: even though you'll never come clean, you know it's true. Those sheets are dirty, and so are you.
2: Uh, That's Bill's dad talking. My dad taught me to be, he taught me to be misogynist, homophobic, racist. He put all this crappy stuff in my head. When my father was in, well, first of all, my father's dad used to beat the shit out of him pretty much every day, whether he did anything wrong or not. He would beat all the four kids. Okay. So then when my dad got to be a young man and he went to World War II, he was engaged at the time. Engaged to be married. And while he was in World War II freezing his ass off in the Aleutian Islands in Alaska, Mm -hmm. he got a Dear John letter while he was up there freezing his ass off. And I think he he couldn't see that for what it was that this woman was, you know, couldn't simply didn't want to wait any longer. He he saw it as like, well, all women are evil or something. And that's what he tried to teach me. And when I was a young adult when I was a young adult, I, before I realized how full of shit my father was, I used to, to harbor some of those beliefs inside of me, the, all the bad shit he taught me. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I've gotten rid of all of that now. I don't, I'm not any of those things he tried to make me be.
1: Yeah, well, that's that w-
2: wisdom that, that comes with age. Like, nobody's dirty or clean, you know? We're not all dirty or all clean. We're all both things.
0: Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. we got lots more coming up with Bill Stevenson after a few words from our sponsors.
4: Step into the
2: world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
4: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Krayshawn's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So, are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come, baby, come, and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast.
1: And now, back to the show. Well, I noticed some things here in chorus one I wanna to talk to you about. On the first line, even though you'll never come clean, you know it's true, the lead vocal goes to stereo. Okay, so for everyone listening, it, it, it instead of being center, okay, if you close your eyes and you listen to that first line here, the vocals go to each speaker, right and left, and then the rest of it is centered. Yeah. Do you remember doing that in the mix, and how'd that come about?
2: It was recorded that way. Uh, I want to say there was probably a practical reason for it, like because those notes were pretty high. That's got a high A in it. Yes. And Milo, I think Milo had to use his passing voice for those, those lines, and so we thought, well, we'll double it since he's using his passing voice, you know, maybe. I, I don't really know. I don't remember. It's
1: really, really interesting. On the second line as well, another guitar. Besides the stereos comes in in the center. On those sheets are dirty, and so are you. Another guitar comes in there again. Kind of odd, knowing that you guys don't really do overdubs anymore.
2: Well, we were doing them then. We were doing them on on what? Just kind of those two albums only. Really Enjoy mm-hmm. and, and enjoying uh, all. There's a there's a few overdubs on Grow Up. There's one like on Grow Up. There's one overdub that I think's pretty cool, which is that the intro of silly girl like there's car there's guitars that are playing just the chords and then there's another guitar playing the little noo-noo-noo. you know cuz i always feel like that's one case where live it just doesn't sound as good without those those big rhythm guitar underlays so, you know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> For sure. Well, we get our first harmonies in the song here on Know It's True
1: and So Are You. And out of Chorus 1, we go into verse 2. The
3: walk of a
1: The warmth of a bed to a guy who sleeps on the floor was enough to perpetuate all the lies I heard before. And now I want to hold you. Gotta hold my pillow instead, because my pillow will never lie or be with a stranger in my bed.
2: Uh, just sometimes people rationalize a situation and then they ignore the truths. And that's kind of what I was saying in there. But again, it's who am i to judge right but but that's what i was thinking at the time was i kind of ignored some harsh realities that were staring me in the face or maybe that people were friends were telling me because i was i was comfortable i you know i was comfortable i had like a comfortable situation and then but then you know for the back half of the verse i figured well maybe i'm just better by myself without having to trust anyone it's just it's just reactionary extremes Did you ever hear at this point from any
1: close friends or anybody that didn't have to tell you this, like maybe your old elementary school buddy that all of a sudden heard Descendants and, you know, you you came from Black Flag, which their songs were not really, especially at that time, commercially accessible in any way, shape or form. But do you recall anybody having a conversation when they heard Clean Sheets of, wow this song is really good. And what they meant by that was, is this song's kind of accessible. <laughs> this song has a little bit of mainstream quality besides the screaming, screaming hardcore.
2: Yeah, meaning good, good, not just like good for a punk band good. Yeah. No, I get right. it. Right. I get it. And I yeah. mean, I, I, I never really, the punk band title or rock band, power pop, you know, with the last, it was power pop because punk rock didn't exist yet when they started. Or I mean, punk rock as we know it because you know there was the kinks i mean the kinks were in the seeds how much more punk rock could you be right but sure okay look look like when i was in maybe ninth grade i don't know which one of my friends but i was telling them yeah i just picked up a new devo record and they go like they go well oh devo well i heard of that they go what does that sound like and i just stood there and i go i don't know it sounds like devo (laughs) And see, now yeah. now we can now we can look back and go, "Oh, well, Devo was a new wave band, but at the time, they were Devo. <laughs> they were Devo. Yeah. Nobody, you know, they weren't part of a scene or anything. I never aligned myself with any particular scene. I always felt like if you can describe a band by that in those terms, they're probably not a very interesting band. Like, what about when Sabbath came out? Well, what do they sound like? Well? See, here's the thing. They sound like Black Sabbath. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, who was uh, who was down tuning? Uh,
1: you know, drop D back in 1969. Well, but
2: they weren't at first. They weren't. They only. They didn't really get into that till their third album. No, they were just heavy because they were heavy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Well, verse 2, the stereo guitars are in with the bass and drums. You know, the hi-hat here, Bill, it seems a bit more open on verse 2. The stereo guitars seem a bit more aggressive upon really getting it under the microscope, and the bass guitar is just moving all over the place here. I did notice that those jing-jings on those guitars, and that little noodle on line 3, and the the jing-jing on on line 4 here, they're here again in verse to like verse one they don't seem as loud and i would have to think that you didn't mix them any lower than the first verse i'm thinking that the other things i said here the the more intense the intensity of the hi-hat and the guitars maybe that was a little bit louder and made made the other stuff the overdub seem uh, seem lower in volume or intensity
2: wow well, i i probably should have done like a headphone study of that mix before we <laughs> talk, because you you know way more about this recording than I do, uh, which is funny, I guess but but true. the answer is I have no idea that's been. Thirty years and two craniotomies ago, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, I think you're our only guest, Bill, in three years to have had successful brain surgery. So, uh, ha- I had two craniotomies, two of them. Yes, two. Well, I think that's what it was. And, and to answer your question, yes, I, I the last two days I'm realizing things about this song that I never heard before, and that was one of them. They definitely overdub seem lower here. Chorus two. Uh, chorus two is the same lyric as chorus one harmonies are in the same spot that lead vocal goes to stereo on that first line again that guitar on the third line right up the middle Uh, again that overdub it's awesome was there ever any thought bill of maybe changing up the lyric here on chorus two or do you always want to keep it the same
2: i never thought about it i i don't think i knew enough to have different lyrics on the On the chorus, from one chorus to the other. I'm trying to think. No, I guess I had
1: done it a couple times. Was Richard Andrews more of an engineer, uh, someone that recorded you, or did he produce... No, he
2: was very... Richard was very good with offering opinion and stuff, and the more more we got to know him, the more forthcoming he would be with that stuff. Yeah, Richard, so funny. Today, as an engineer, I can think of, like, probably literally 40% of my basic work habits... They were, they were learned from Richard.
1: No kidding. Yeah. And that was so early on in your career. You, you would have thought you would have learned that maybe a little later when you were working with the Andy Wallaces of the world.
2: No, it was, Richard t- taught us so much about, and I mean like workflow stuff, how to be organized, how to just approach workflow, how, how to have systems, how to, how to keep the recording session from just being chaos, like those kinds of workflow things, how to label things, what to call things. Guitar one DI, guitar one amp, you know, guitar two, guitar lead, like little things just to keep things straight.
1: I don't think anybody's ever talked about that on the show. That's such a great point, uh, a producer being organized and having that workflow.
2: Well, well, the thing about the term, the term record producer, and I'm I'm kind of um, I'm kind of lifting some general text from Steve Albini here, but in so many words, he 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 once said uh. The only prerequisite for becoming a record producer is to have the audacity to call yourself one. <laughs> okay, now now with an engineer, though, that's not the case. You can't just... Sit someone in front of a mixing board that doesn't actually know what they're doing because it won't happen. Right. Richard was real good with both things.
1: That's awesome. Well, we get to the bridge right out of chorus two. I, I, just just a classic Descendants bridge. It's just, it's still in the same world, but it takes you somewhere else. If that makes any sense.
3: Well done, I was
1: Where's the love I was looking for? It's out the door. I'm afraid to see you anymore. So it's back on the floor because those sheets are dirty.
2: Yeah. Okay. So the bridge wasn't part of the premonition business. I, I wrote the bridge You know, I sat down with the guitar and said, well, I need a bridge. Okay. So right. I, and I wrote the bridge. Yeah. So that's um. just, I thought that might be an interesting thing for any anybody who- Anybody who cares about that sort of stuff? Did you think the song needed a bridge? Well, I mean, or it felt like it needed to go somewhere. I don't mean like it needs a bridge, like I'm working in the Brill Building and you know telling the songwriter to rewrite the song. I just mean it felt like it needed a re- it needed a refrain. You know, it needed to go somewhere that it hadn't been. But that's what a bridge is, you know. And then I don't know. The more you're the more you're throwing these lyrics back at me, the more I feel like I was pitting my living like a sardine in, in front of my kick drum in a sleeping bag i was pitting that against a relationship with someone but really it's more complicated than that it's almost like because that means it could have just been anyone as long as i could go somewhere and have a place to sleep and and she would like you know buy me dinner or something or whatever and plus she had a shower we didn't have a shower at the practice room so so yeah I, i don't know (laughs) I don't know when I when I explain to people how we lived back then they think I'm making it up so I don't know it got better over the years like at a certain point we uh for a little while we had we rented this apartment we rented it for like three months but then we realized that we were the only white people in the apartment and the cholos didn't want us there and they beat up bug really badly one day so we just moved out they didn't want us there they should have known. I speak fluent Spanish. I'm, I'm one of them. I am one of them. I, lo- I love it. But they didn't want us, so we moved back out. And then for a while, we had two little kind of these little office spaces that we would make. We had two of them, one where we kind of lived and had an office, and then one that was a practice room. But I'm saying the whole, the total square footage of all that wasn't even the size of a large living room. Right. And, but but when we had that second office, it it did have warm water and it did have a shower.
1: And and at that point that that's complete luxury, you know, because you guys really you were sleeping on floors on the road and coming home and sleeping on floors. That's what it sounds like.
2: Yeah, yeah, or like we built this we built bunk beds just out of plywood, you know, we just built bunk beds in them so we you know, so no one was actually on the floor. We did that pretty early on. Like we started doing that around 85. But uh, it's the same idea. And then you're too, you know, you know, obviously there's no privacy there. I don't care. I wouldn't trade any of that. I wouldn't trade one second of any of that. It was great. It was the best times of my life.
1: Absolutely. I, I, can echo, I can echo that sentiment for myself. Well, I love the first line. Where's the love I was looking for? We get double time on the snare and the stereo guitars and the bass are just
2: locked there. Um, it's out the door. We get that surf beat, just kind of pop-pop. The best way to use the surf beat is as a refrain. Not as the main beat of a song, but the way I do is I refrain to it. For two bars or four bars, and then he get rid of yes. it. Yes, because that's when the last when the last would use it that way. That was when it was really impactful. Like I hear a lot of bands that are you know kind of come up, maybe influenced by us, and the guy will play the surf beat like kind of for the whole song or whatever. And it, I feel like the surf beat loses its effect after like four bars or so. I agree. And you always kind of did it back and forth on
1: I'm Afraid to See You Anymore. We go back to that double time on the snare. So it's back on the floor is the surf beat on the last line. And Bill, my band's tried to do it. Other bands, you know, you do 16 snare hits consecutively super fast on the last line here. Okay. Before we go into the musical bridge and guitar solo and that that buildup you do, there's a certain feel that you have on that. I've heard other drummers try to do it, and it just, it's so simple on paper, but the way that you execute it, it just, it's awesome. It's such a great buildup.
2: There were bands and drummers that had big impacts on us. Where do I start? Robo from Black Flag, Don Bowles from The Germs, DJ Bonebreak from X. I don't know the name of the Buzzcocks drummer, or then you had your then you had like The Fall and Gang of Four and the B fifty twos and Devo and some a lot of those bands there were this this like excessive staccato elements coming in and I kinda liked that. Yes. I kinda liked that. And then also the Alley Cats with the with the eighth note. I, I, I really took to that. And Tony Tony loved that too. And he was he was always really trying to bring in that Alley Cat's influence. Into the band, and I th- I think it's cool that it that it has stayed in the band all, all these years. And I know there's like three bands called the Alley Cats, but I'm talking about the one like if you look at old L.A. show flyers, you'll see the Alley Cats. You'll see them headlining over the Go Go's, headlining over X, headlining over Descendants, over Black Flag or whatever. They were like the kings of the L.A. punk scene for like one year or something. I
3: A two-bikes jump, two-bikes jump. Two-bikes jump,
2: two-bikes but they were a big influence on us.
1: Coming out of this lyrical bridge, Bill, before the guitar solo, there's one beat of silence. Well, it's two beats, two beats, right? Two, sorry, two beats of silence followed by an eight-bar reintro. Father! That happened, you know. Was it calculated? We want the silence here because you could have just went straight into the to the reintro.
2: No, it's natural. I mean, that's natural. Natural for you. It's natural (laughs) to do. It's natural to do like a little two beat pause, right? It's It's definitely you guys. What are they called? Done done for dramatic effect. I I. if yeah, we'll we'll go with that. It's, it's so it's funny def- talking about music is like um let's see, talking about music is like skiing <laughs> about cycling. It's an interesting analogy. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It's like if you could talk about it, you wouldn't have to play it. You know, you, but you can't really, you can't really talk about it. But but you,
1: you're sitting here telling me that, that that part's simple. It's something everybody does, and I'm going, well, not really. That's a little, that's a little d- descendants uh, sounding there to me. But you know, after that silence, it's followed by an eight bar reintro. on bar seven. The guitar solo actually starts there. Uh, Stefan starts doing this this run on bar eight. We get a big tom build up and then a twelve bar guitar solo over the stereo guitars bass. And drums, so the solo is an overdub.
2: But I gotta ask those are Tom overdubs you do in this section, correct? I don't overdub my drums. I never even no? punched in a drum until I was an old old man. All my drums are live takes front to back. No punching, no overdubs. Only as only now that I'm an old man I use some of that technology just for <laughs> just for convenience. No, no, no overdubs.
1: That's interesting because Again, I'd never thought of there being overdub in this song, and I noticed there's quite a bit of them, as we've talked about. Enjoy, and this record has them, listening to just this section. No drum overdubs. No drum overdub. Okay, you fooled me. There sounds like one in there. I swear it sounded overdubbed, but it is not. Okay, okay. I also uh, noticed, Bill, I want to see if you could talk about this a little bit. The solo here seems... I'll use the word poppy, really restrained for Stefan. There's no atonal notes. It doesn't kind of drift off. It, it's pretty, pretty poppy for him. Was, was that discussed? Was, was the solo worked on in this song?
2: Yeah, it's oddly enough, when I wrote the song, that whole section was just going to be like the intro riff over again. You know, all the riffing, all the Steve Stevens stuff. But then when we listened to it, it was like, eh, it needs a solo. See, but Stefan didn't have anything written, so him and Richard, him and Richard kind of riffed back and forth on that. Richard would hum something, and they'd work it out, yeah. Richard is kind of like, he's one of those people, he's like just an asset to any situation he's in. I always feel like, you know Stephen McDonald, Little Stephen from Red Cross? I guess he's not Little Stephen, he's a grown-ass man, but I mean, you know, I met him, he was like 11, but... But you know he just any no matter what band he joins, he's always just such an asset to it Richard's that way, I think. Well coming out of the guitar solo, we get a third
1: verse. Woke up. Woke up this morning alone on the floor thinking about those clean sheets and the way it was before when I looked in the mirror I saw your face and thought of the past but now I know how dirty you are I took my fist and smashed the glass and you're telling me that Daniel Snow Bugface had a hand in writing this third verse
2: That's all bug yeah I oh I remember now cuz this was when we had that apartment in Harbor City at the Cholo the Cholo building and I remember walking around going i got this song finished because we were going to record in like a week all the other songs were done and i'm like i got this song finished but i just i just need a third verse you know and and i kind of the lyrics were laying around on the kitchen table or whatever i just need a third verse and then i remember like the next morning bug came into like let's see where was i sleeping i don't know Well, he came into where i was and he, he and he told me he wrote a third verse for it and i was like oh cool Nice. Rarely do you get a third verse from from your roadie that's this sound, musically sound. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it's natural, you know, communal living and, all that communal, like, band, it's it's all, you know, it's camaraderie. Well,
1: uh, the other thing I noticed, the guitars in verse 3, they're pretty much, I mean, he's full-blown, full downstroke here. There's a, you know, a, a, cu- a couple chugs here and there, but it's it's just full blast buzzing away. And that's probably why the overdubs here, those guitar overdubs, seem the quietest to me in verse 3, because the band is so raucous here. You even sound like you're a little bit more open on the
2: hi-hat than the other verses here as well i can't speak to it i know we weren't really moving much stuff around because there wasn't you know you're used to in your day and age there was automation and total recall mm-hmm. and pro tools and all that i mean this was just dudes with their hands on the faders so it really there wasn't you tried to avoid having to move stuff around while you're mixing
1: yeah, absolutely well chorus three comes right off of verse three wow. Same lyrics again. This one, however, is a double chorus. And uh, the second time it comes through that double chorus, that guitar that is centered, uh, the second time that it comes in, it stays in for the rest of the song. The last three lines are those sheets are dirty. We get a harmony on each one of those. And then we get a four-bar outro, it's reminiscent of the intro, uh, only because of, of the placement of, of some of the stuff you're doing on the hi-hat, Bill, I'll say, that 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 jazzy part you're playing there, the stereo guitars, and the bass is now playing... Well, it's
2: the uh, same riff. It's the same riff. It's not reminiscent. It is. It is the intro riff. Yeah, well, and, and then... But Carl, is
1: his bass playing, he's playing some harmonics here at the end. Oh,
2: right. True, true, true. Okay,
1: okay, yeah. Yeah, that is just really really cool. And uh, the whole band just ends together here. And I got to ask you, you know, I I haven't done this until recently. Within the last five, six years of, of my career, I'll look out and I'll be playing some festival somewhere. And there'll be all these fists in the air. There'll be like two or three circle pits going on and just the energy's in the air. And I just have a little bit of a chuckle to myself at the fact that they're going crazy for a song I wrote when I was 20 years old. Do you ever look out like clean sheets in particular and you just see everybody singing the song and just say to yourself, I never, never could have dreamed this, this being this way.
2: (laughs) I mean, I, that's. Pretty much every time we play a show, I just, I, you know, I just didn't, I didn't have many friends when I was young and stuff. So just the idea that anything I could have my hands on would be at all liked by other people, that just seems, you know, that seems um, like an unlikely result, but it, but it, I guess it happened. That's cool.
1: Well, Bill. Once again, it, it, the pleasure's been all mine. Is there anything you like to leave the listeners with? What you have coming up? Uh, Descendants, all the studio flag. What's happened in your life?
2: I, first, I just I hope I addressed the song well enough. But but like you know, as I said, it was sort of hard to put myself back in that frame of mind. But I guess they say they say that if you're if the art you did in the past doesn't kind of Embarrass you a little, or make you question it, then it means that you're not growing and prog- progressing. So I, I'll take that as a win. Um, yeah. And uh, let's see what's next. Well, we're we're gearing up for for fifty or sixty descendants shows this year uh, around uh, some of the usual haunts: uh, the U.S., Canada, Australia, possibly Japan, Europe. You know the usual. We'll probably see you guys around, I imagine. I I think we will. Absolutely. We usually end up on a festival or two together each year, whether we like whether we need it or not, right? <laughs> that's the hope. That's the hope. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's about it. Okay, good, cause I gotta pee. Another
3: day goes by. We can't live like this anymore. Can't live without love. Another year goes anymore can't live
0: without love i hope you all enjoyed bill stevenson's second appearance on chris to Makes a podcast i know i did and i cannot wait to talk to chris about it in the rap segment that's coming right up after a few words from our sponsors hey what's up this is blake wyland i'm the host of the tone mob podcast it's a show where i interview guitar people about guitar stuff
1: The end of the show Here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to make a podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to ban you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Danny Carney, originally from Massachusetts, currently residing in Los Angeles. Danny made his mark as the frontman for Epitaph Records Roll the Tanks, releasing one acclaimed album. This project is called Danny Carney Chainsaw Symphony. And here's a snippet of their song, Hung Heathens.
4: The Wrap with Chris and Chris.
0: Well, Chris, I know people are going to be excited that Bill is back. Yes, you brought it up to him. His first appearance on Chris to Makes a Podcast, I think is the moment where you and I both said to each other, we got something special with this podcast. So I don't know if Bill even realizes how much that first time he was on Meant to People.
1: Yeah, I, I, I tried to, to clue him in a little bit on the impact that his episode had. Uh, I even said to him, man, I had emails and texts ready to go I wanted to send you from you know fans and listeners that just appreciated the episode so much. But Bill's Bill. He doesn't like to sit on his accolades and rest on his laurels. But, uh, but yeah, that, that episode was,
0: was definitely a turning point for me. Yeah, for sure. And then today, talking about clean sheets, it's amazing that with Bill and this also happened on Milo's episode, that those guys look back on lyrics they wrote when they were younger and reflect on them being wiser, you know, being older and wiser now. They're like, ah, you know, not really sure about those lyrics now. I wouldn't have interpreted them. I would have thought that anyone could look at those lyrics if they are in a position where, you know, Someone did them wrong. And I'm talking whether you're a female listening to it, you're a male listening to it, anyone in the world listening to the song could relate to it. I didn't look at it as, or I never interpreted this song as being misogynistic or anything like that. But I think it's cool that Bill can look back and say like, oh, you know, this was the state of mind that I was in and I've grown as a person and, you know, can still look back on the song. And uh, and be able to critique himself. I do that about songs I wrote a long time ago, for sure. So I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it's you know it's good to have self reflection. I also I asked him at the end. I said, "What is it like to look out and still see people singing those you know silly lyrics that you wrote when you weren't thinking at twenty years old?" Well, you know what what is that like? And his his answer was, "It's it's absolutely amazing. You, know, you kind of pinch yourself every time, and it just goes to show you that you know just because." you know, maybe your I don't know, your perceptions of of something you did artistically change doesn't mean that they change for the people listening.
0: Yeah, right. And everyone interprets a song in their own way. They assign their own meaning to it. Like I said, I never assigned any sort of real bad meaning to this song. It was just a song like, yeah, if you're feeling scorned in a relationship or something, it's kind of like you want to, it's like an outlet. Like the lyrics are an outlet, that makes you feel better you know that's that's the way the descendants and all music that i like makes me feel it makes me feel better when i'm feeling low you know sure and i've heard bill talk about
1: this before where a song came to him in a dream fully realized he'd wake up grab the guitar. There it is. As I said to Bill, that that's never happened to me. I I wish one time in my life it would. I have to work at it most of the time. I have to sit in the corner and I'll take a riff and decide what part's going to go next. Maybe start jotting down some lyrics and
0: it doesn't sound like that's his process at all. And that's intriguing to me. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me that songs would come to Bill in a dream. He just seems like a guy who would have songs come to him in a dream. I'll tell you this. I've had songs come to me in a dream. But like an idiot, I don't have a little, I guess I have my phone, I guess I have my voice recorder, but I've woken up with like, oh, this is awesome, something, some song I heard in my head in my dreams, and I, and I forgot it within, you know, within 20 seconds or something. So I think if there's ever a chance of that, you should have something ready to go right by your bed. I guess even getting the voice recorder on my phone would be too complex, unlocking my phone and getting in there. I think you need something where you could just hit record and go because- I don't know. Maybe sometimes, <laughs> maybe I've let some hit songs slip away in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I got to say, the, the
1: people that were, have been in the Descendants, the players in this band, they've all been great in their own right. Uh, Frank Nevetta, Tony Lombardo, uh, Ray Cooper. But, you know, there's, there, there's something to be said about Stefan and Carl on this record. It just everything really came together uh, for me as a Descendants on this album and this track in
0: particular. Yeah, you know what? Looking back, I think this may have been, this might have been the first Ascendant song I ever heard. I'm trying to think about it because, you know, I was a 90s kid, but I think I heard this like on the college radio station or something at some point. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Because I remember having it on a tape that I I taped the radio we've talked about that before mm-hmm. I taped oh, yeah. college radio I taped it and that's how I heard a lot of bands that I liked. and I think this may have been the first descendant song I ever heard I told
1: Bill that too I think this was the first one that I ever heard and looking back at their catalog back then yeah I didn't realize it when I first started listening to them they were just you know another band I discovered but you know Digging in and looking back at their history, I think that's uh, one of the reasons pe- people of all walks of life, they gravitate towards this band. They can sing about farts, they can sing about love, they can sing about heartache, and it somehow all works.
0: And, as you've said so many times, Chris... Another part, a big part that gravitates me to them is they're all rippers. They are all so good at music that it is, you know, on top of the heart behind the songs. There's also just stellar musicianship, which I love.
1: Yeah. And and they're so good that they choose to do their recordings in one take. Now they're, they're, you know, basic tracks with no overdubs because they're like, we're good enough to do this. Let's do it. And I've always admired them for that as well. It's punk rock, man. That's as punk as it gets. Absolutely. Well, hey, everybody out there. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't already, join our supporting cast over at ChrisDemakes.com, where you get bonus episodes of The After Party each week for the price of a cup of coffee. ChrisDemakes.com. We'd love to have you sign up over there. And please, join the Chris Demakes Podcast Facebook group as well. We'd love to have you um, as a member in there. It's a lot of fun. Great discussions. Each week we get in there. We talk about previous episodes, the current episode, and everything in between. And don't forget to give me a follow on Instagram at less than Christy. And give Chris Fafalius, my trusty producer, yeah. a follow on Instagram. <laughs> I'm gonna say that every week now. I'm not gonna let you no. down ever, ever, ever again. <laughs> and uh wanna thank our repeat offender, Mr. Bill Stevenson, for sitting in with us. It was a lot of fun, and we'll see you next week.
4: Hey everybody, Satan here. I know what you're thinking. Jesus Christ, Satan has a podcast now too? No, no, that's not it. But I am here to tell you about a podcast, and it's one that's all about my favorite band, Punchline. Not the band you expected me to say, right? You probably figured I'd like Slayer, or maybe some backwards Beatles records or something. Those are okay. But you usually find me rocking out to fan-favorite Punchline albums like Action or Lion while I'm torturing dead people for all of eternity. Punchline's podcast is called A Band Called Punchline, and it's super entertaining to listen to this documentary-style look back at the 25 years of my favorite band. Honestly, I'm really feeling like I'm getting to know these guys, and their story is amazing. I'm so ready for them to get down here. I have so many questions. I gotta give them credit for catching on to my whole 37 thing too. There's a reason why they're my favorite band, and if you listen to their podcast, they might become yours too. A Bandcom punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out, and I'll see you all in hell.